Vinny Mbaya, how are you? Caught me by surprise there. I just found a piece of chocolate in my fridge, which is a rare occurrence because my seven-year-old basically can smell chocolate at 100 paces, but I found a chunk of chocolate hidden away behind the eggs. And I ate all of it without letting on to anyone that I'd found it. And it was possibly the highlight of my day until now, until now, because now we have Q&A session five, our final trip down the Q&A lane. Um, and uh, we're going to summarize, all, well, there's two things going to happen here. We're going to wrap up any questions you have on distribution um, and back to comms, integrated marketing comms. But we also have to do the exam kind of prep. So I've kind of got two things. I reckon we'll do half an hour of the Q&A, the normal stuff. And then we'll we'll spend the other part of the session talking about uh, the exam and, and how it all works and what to do next. Okay, that makes sense? And I think a couple of you will ask exam questions is my bet as well, so... All right, let's get moving into our questions, starting with Mr. Craig Fawcett. Hi, Mark. As ever, great content and lessons in IMC. Thank you, Craig. That was that was very uh, very kind of you. Start off our Q&A with that comment. Have you any tips or recommend case studies about how to make sure your brand grows up in the same way across whichever channels you select based on your strategy? I work for a large FMCG. And there's always discussion around if executions are brand building or not. I appreciate that a large part of this input will be from a creative agency, but if you have any other tips, I would love to hear them. Look, I, I, it's a great question, Craig, but I come down on it pretty, um, pretty hard. So, I don't think that a medium is brand building or activating or short term or performance or long term. I, I think some are better at it than others. But I, 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 you know, I always use the example of outdoor in the sense that you can use outdoor adver- McDonald's use outdoor advertising to build an emotional association with their brand, and they use outdoor advertising to tell people to pull off the freeway and get a burger. Yeah, long and short. So I think all the media can be used to brand build or not. Um, it depends. Um, and if you look at digital video, I've done a lot of work with YouTube, it's literally 50-50. Now, some, like TV is more brand building, search is certainly more activation. Um, but I think I would regard everything as potentially brand building um, or, or activating in short term, if you like, right? In terms of your more specific question, like how do you make sure the brand looks the same across all the channels? There is a company that does this globally that assesses marketing consistency and i haven't spoken to them in years but i know they do a very good job so if i can find them i'll pop something into the network they're a very well-run company and they basically just make sure everything's lined up if you want to if you want to go down that path so let me see if i can dig out their details this evening it may be a a struggle let me see if i can find them. there's one company i know of that's been doing this for a long time but it's more in a global setting rather than a multi-channel setting uh, Alex Wilkinson. Hello, Alex. I love the course. Filled a lot of holes in my knowledge and has given me the confidence to push harder on strategic direction with the business. That that's the real that's the real joy, Alex. If if we fill holes that you know you've got, or maybe even didn't know you had, and then you end up feeling like I know my shit, because you do. I mean, look, you've paid your money now, so I'm not trying to 
do anything other than confirm what you're saying. If you've gone through the course, you've done the readings, you've followed the logic of everything, your marketing skills are A, complete, but B, because of the very patchy nature of marketers, you're in the top 5% now of marketers. It's a low bar, but you're still there, and that's great, you know? So I, I endorse what you're saying because it's true. It's absolutely true, um, and, and you need to feel that confidence. Anyway, I'm on my stag do this weekend. Well, look, then you'll need you'll need bags of confidence, won't you? And likely to be spending the following few days evaluating my life. Yes, we all do that. Is there any chance we can get an extension? Definitely not. So I have a clear weekend to focus on the exam. No, no, no. So I'll talk about it later, Alex. The exam is optional, first of all. Um, so you don't have to do it. You have to get married. But, well, you don't have to get married either. But you have to go on your stag do, but you don't have to do the exam, first thing. Second thing, it's about five or six hours. So I reckon, depending on where your stag do is, if you were sat on a train or something, you could give it a go. Or when you're recovering, hopefully not in hospital, but perhaps in hospital, you can have a go there as well. So I wouldn't worry about it too much, Alex. The most important thing is your stag do. Uh, is it, is it, I mean, let me, let me think about things. There's a lot of times as I had my stag do. Yeah, look, the stag do is slightly more important than your exam, just slightly. And then obviously your, your wedding comes in third. So I'd say, look, you'll find the time in the week, mate. It's not Herculean and I'll talk about it later. We don't even care what the grade is, as you'll see. Miss Siobhan Sharp. Hello, Siobhan. Gosh, it seems like forever since module one. I remember you asking questions after in that first Q&A, Siobhan, when you were a very young, young woman. A logistics question. With all module content, will all the module content remain available post the course? I've learned loads, but I feel like I've also forgot smaller bits. My baby is now 14 weeks old, so my memory is still in finest. I have a theory about this, Siobhan. I've been going through it myself a couple of times. I think this is nature's way... We don't remember how painful all of it was with the sleep deprivation. So then we're tricked into doing it again. And then you go, oh, God, I remember this. this is dark. My my, um, my four-month-old is teething. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot about teething. I think nature does that to let us do it again. Anyway, it would be great, says Siobhan, to be able to go back and refresh those moments of wobbles in confidence. If not, I've got all the supporting docs. Well, I just wanted to ask... Uh, how else does post-course work? Thanks. Also, how are you doing with your little one? Yeah, pretty good. He's a, You know, you don't know if you've got an easy one, uh, if the first one was the easy one or not. Uh, it turns out our second one is the easy one. And so my my missus is a happier woman, I have to say. Um, I'm a more calm man. We've got a terrific uh, Chilean uh, nanny who's only temporary, but who uh who who, who we are using with great joy who's just a lovely woman and we can have a chat with her and then she'll go and just carry our little fella around for a few hours and read a book and it's like mm, everything's pretty i mean it's you know it's it's not how it could have been and 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 i think with age you learn how to do it chili and nanny's definitely the way to go um what was the question in all of that oh yeah siobhan yeah um yeah you're gonna join the M uh, the mba alumni network and uh, I forgive me, I can't remember if we charge you like 50 quid or 100 quid or something. I don't think we do, but anyway. Whatever it is, that gives you forever access to all the materials. And also, you know, as it updates. So I will do a completely new version of marketing. I'm already doing it for next year. 
and you'll get access to it's a completely it's the same syllabus but it's new examples and shit so you'll get access to all of that um as part of the alumni so yeah you always you can always stay on there and at any one time we have like i don't know six seven thousand people in the alumni and you can be one of them madeline Steele. I've worked both agency and brand side throughout my career. Each week, I'm immediately applying links to client projects, which I love. That's great. These are all good messages so far. I'm happy with this. It's a good week, this. Time and time again, I see briefs from clients that include too many objectives and jobs to be done. Do you have any advice on, on how you've previously shifted the mindset of marketing professionals to be more specific with their briefs? Such conversations and expectations can be tricky to manage in the current climate, given budget constraints and the client's perceived interest in covering as many areas as possible. P.S. I found many of your readings and shared quotes fantastic for framing creative concepts in presentations. Wow, that's great too. Well, funnily enough, Madeline, this week, the Better Brief guys published like a book of cartoons and wisdom on briefing. I'd have a look at that. Go to the IPA site. You'll see it's there. Uh, IPA.co.uk, maybe. Um I actually think that it's it's such a huge issue, and we talked about it in the in the course. I think the most important thing is to use the Better Briefs data, which is available on their website. So they have an empirical study that I helped them put together, the one we talked about a little bit with a thousand clients and agencies. I think the advantage of that, Mads, is you can show it to a client who's shit and go, look how shit these other clients are. You'd never be that shit. So it sort of allows us to teach them without teaching them. That's the way I would go. <clears throat> Use better briefs than the IPA stuff. The report's free if you put your details in. It's very useful. Siobhan again. She's forgotten she's asked the question, see? She was saying she'd forgotten everything. A bit of what feels like a silly question, but just wanting some clarification on showing up on multiple channels. Are you referring to the category of channel? Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, set, um, rather than the specific placement within a channel? Essentially, is it better to be on two different channels, e.g. TV and Instagram, rather than two different placements on one type of channel? You know, I don't, I don't know, Siobhan. You're asking me a really good question. When I say multiple channels, what I mean is TV and radio and search and cinema. Hmm? I really don't. I mean, we have, we have to make that question of the week because I've never thought about it before. Does the same logic and effect apply if you straddle multiple newspapers, well, it wouldn't do because of reach, right? Look, I, do, I really don't know, but it should. It should. I'm going to make that question of the week because it's such a great, delicious question to which I, I don't know of any research that's ever been done. No, that would look at it. Uh, Chris, Ava, hi, Mark. What is your view on econometrics and the importance in reviewing marketing channel performance? Do you th also think it's possible to capture the impact of creativity in an econometrics model? Oh, that's good too. So I'm mixed about econometrics, Chris. So let's, for everyone else's benefit, let's go for it. When you want to assess a campaign's impact, um, you, you've got a couple of choices. You can do it at the strategic level, right? And what I mean by that is you've got four objectives. You can go back and measure and see, did I reach my objectives and stop there? Most bigger companies don't stop there because they want to see which of the different tactics contributed most to my achievement or non-achievement and we call that attribution yeah so i want to attribute success and failure to the different channels now to do that there's a color of options it's a mistake to do first or last touch attribution because the analogy is it's kind of like you're in a department store and the 
the woman that uh, sells perfume is worth like 12 million pounds a week because she serves everyone and sells them perfume and therefore she's deriving the wholesale herself. Obviously there's a whole 20 years worth of heritage and advertising and other comms channels that delivered you to that last point of of touch. <laughs> so we try and find a more multi-attribute way of doing this that looks at that idea of time. And that's where econometrics comes in. Basically regression modeling it's trying to isolate through various different tests and analyses that I don't fully understand either because it's regression. But basically, if we have six channels, isolating the six different channels and modeling how much contribution each of them made and how much was the overall contribution as well in some cases too. So what do I like about econometrics? It does something nothing else can do. Yeah. Brand lift studies only look at one thing. Um, you really want to, you, you really can only get at that multi-attribution model properly with some form of econometrics. The problem I have with econometrics is time and cost, but mostly if I hired three different econometric companies to come in and assess the same campaign, I would get three very different answers. And I don't think we talk about that enough, that there is certainty there, but it's variable certainty. So... Look, it's useful, and I've seen big companies like Diageo use it with great effect. It's not quite as precise as we perhaps think it should be. And I think with the era of synthetic data, it may become more democratized very shortly as well. So we'll see. We will absolutely see. But it it, it scratches an itch that otherwise doesn't get scratched. Madeline. Hey, Madeline. I feel like my brain has exploded with the world of marketing since I started 10 weeks ago. This could go two ways here. What a, what a wild ride. Do you have any specific examples of brands that have successfully achieved a crossover from a traditional mono-channel distribution to omni-channel distribution? Mm. I'm trying to get a bit more clarity on what is omni-channel distribution. After hearing Daryl Rigby's interview, I got confused with what can be identified as such. As he mentioned, it's a merge of both worlds, digital and physical, and not just a brand having a physical store, website, etc. Yeah, I mean, I went through it with Sephora the beauty retailer, which was obviously bricks and mortar for a long time, and then saw the digital uh, retail revolution in beauty coming a long way away and realized they had to be all over it. And so I watched, I think the Sephora example, is it was very prescient for me because I saw it firsthand. And I think to begin with, you saw, I saw two phases, right? The first phase was Sephora just, tre just started treating its online presence like its biggest door, right? So there was, you know, our biggest door is now online. You know, that was a famous thing 15 years ago. And then we got more to a pure omni-channel play, which was, it's no good just treating it as a separate entity, like I would a store in London versus one in Manchester. I have to recognize that they are, it isn't quite the same thing. And now I need to have that complementarity and that um, uh, smoothness that Ruby also talks about. So the ability to come into store, use my online membership uh, to get my points, um, you know, the seamlessness between the two channels. So now that they complement each other and we don't think about one or the other, we just use both for their various strength. That That's probably the, the most notable example I've seen. And they do different things, but they both sell products and distribute them in different ways. That, that was my sense. That's the best example I can give you. Look, at the end of the day, all we're talking about, 
with Omnichannel is recognizing that there are multiple ways to distribute the product and they all have to work together because it's the same consumer at one end and the same brand at the other. It's just a mess in the middle that we have to navigate. That's all we're really saying. Arrestis. G'day, Mark. This course has been refreshing metaphorically and literally. It's great to be back at school. Thank you. In my experience, share of voice is measured by individual teams within their own area and in each specific sub-channel, e.g. the digital team on social, search, SEM, uh, or the media agency on each paid channel. Is there a good way to determine an overall share of voice for your brand as a whole, or is it a matter of each channel aiming to do so within their own respective areas? Getting one SO share of voice figure seems amazing on the graph, but how do brands get that overall picture? Or right, I'll give you a 20th century answer and a 21st century answer, Aristus. If you have a good media agency, a good media agency can do some pretty good estimation of this, and you really need to look at it as a whole investment, yeah, cross-channel. Often media agencies go, we don't do that, and I often think, why not? Because you really should. Um, so a good media agency can often give you this information. 21st century answer, I've seen now enough of the AI dashboard stuff being developed to be certain that within a year, uh, the first online uh, excess uh, share of voice calculators will appear and we'll use AI to estimate this and estimate it pretty well. Much better than we're doing right now with media agencies. So I think it's a matter of time, Aristis. If you can hang on for 12 months, 24 months max, I think we'll go in there. I've seen some prototypes and they look pretty good to me. Miss Kate Hughes. Hello, Kate. A few questions. If you are a startup with very small budgets looking for broad reach, how do you determine if and when it's worth investing in the more expensive broadcast media as part of your mix? As a small brand, what do you think is the best, most cost-effective way to measure share of voice? For the exam, we can complete and submit within a... Oh, okay. Let's do them one at a time. Sorry, Kate. Um, so first of all, if you're a small brand, it almost never makes sense for you to go with broadcast to begin with. People will disagree with that point, but it's it, I would suggest there are, there's a way of doing a mix of media which is more appropriate for a smaller brand, right? Um, in terms of measuring your share of voice, um, I would suggest, again, back to that Aristus's question, that if you're a small brand, I'd be looking at share of search as a proxy for how much you're... Um, out there in the market, and it will give you a sense of your size or not size. It's a different thing, but share of search is a nice thing for small brands. I think it's more practicable. But again, the AI revolution isn't really scalar. You're going to be able to access it if you're a small brand too, and I do think you'll be able to get it pretty quickly. For the exam, can we complete and submit with another MBA? Yes, absolutely. We encourage teams and cheating, but because we always we've got confused in the past, you each have to submit your own version of your teamwork, and so you get your individual grade. And sometimes people tweak it slightly, and that's fine as well. Okay. Siobhan Chapa again, and again, yeah, Siobhan. I found module ten interesting, but one of the hardest to apply to the industry I work for, not for profit cultural organisations. In terms of distribution channels for museums or theatres. It is mainly D to C, but not in the way you explained, as we're not disruptors, and we've been around a very long time. Obviously, there are resellers and travel trade distribution channels, but the majority come from the organization, website, etc. Therefore, for the first time in this course, I'm struggling to translate this module to real-life learning. 
Do you have any easy explanation of it? It also spat a, a question in terms of profit focus. It makes full sense why a focus on profit and not sales is more helpful for overall business success. But would you say this approach is more about getting the most from your market rather than making the most money? And overall, is it more about what the objectives are that define whether profit to sales is the focus to have, i.e. when an objective is to get a set number of people from a segment to see an exhibition, the focus would then be sales to profit? Yeah, that last one's interesting. If your goal is genuinely to expose more people to an exhibition, there is a case there for saying revenue and sales, unit sales, are actually our, our core metric. I think that's appropriate if it's slightly separate from the from the capitalist world. Um, I don't know. Look, distribution, it, it isn't, you know, everyone has P's that are more or less relevant for their game, right? So maybe it's just that in your game, as you say, there's less relevance there. The only thing is selling through channels rather than selling direct may have more potential. But yeah, don't worry about it. I think distribution is one where a lot of people live it every day and others like you are sort of, it's less relevant. It, it That's okay in this case. Hannah Ward, a quick exam question. In the targeting section, is this that where we'd also state if we're going to target the market as a whole as well as our specific segments? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it's an understandable question, Hannah. Um, in the targeting section, if you want to target mass or segment or both, that's where you lay that out and then go into more detail about it there. Yeah. Uh, use that for your explanation is what I'm what I'm basically saying. Uh, and Rendell Short, I'm absolutely loving the course and it's nearly over. I and mean, be careful. It's nearly over. I hate to break it to you. Thank you so much. I have an academic background in exercise science. Cool but not marketing. However, I've been marketing my own fitness business for years and more recently helping other gyms and coaches create content to market theirs. Cool. Your course was recommended to me in a chance conversation with a friend who is head of marketing for a major tech company. I loved how logical and well laid out this course was, and it's just made me want to explore and expand on all of the concepts you discussed even more. But the formal world of marketing is so foreign to me. I, would, I wouldn't even know where to begin with further study. I'm reading, watching, listing all the additional resources for each module, and they are brilliant. That's great. But now the course is coming to an end. Do you have any suggestions for where I would turn next? Okay, okay. First of all, thanks, Annie. That's lovely feedback. It makes me so happy. We will do this in the course conclusion, and I'll talk to you about that in a few moments, okay? So we're going to do a wrap-up, and one of the things in the wrap-up is what next. So let's get through the exam, and then we'll do it in the course conclusion, and I'll try and give you some good tips. Mr. Harry Hunt. Hey, Harry. My boss has asked me to suggest a budget for customer marketing. Hello. He's open to the idea of zero-based budgeting. I can work out how much it costs us to sign up customers from certain sources where we spend money and suggest an increase of X to return Y. But I can't do this for sources where we don't spend money, such as word of mouth, recommendation and friends or relative. But these sources make up a big portion of our new customers. How would you approach producing a budget proposal when you can't analyze the ROI of all customer inquiry sources? Well, it's tricky. M my recommendation, Ari, is look up my article on triple cocked budgets, okay? Because I think that's the most foolproof way to set a budget. Not quite zero base, but kind of a practical way. And the triple cooked approach which I stole from Heston Blumenthal, who I once met while both of us were very inebriated in a first-class lounge somewhere in Asia. I can't quite remember where. I had a very good hour with Heston Blumenthal. 
And it was quite stylish to find someone who was more drunk than me in the airport. Anyway, uh, oh, we talk, yeah. So triple cooked chips. Number one, what you have to do is essentially work with the wonderful Grace Kite data that says somewhere between 5 and 10% of revenues spent on comms is the sweet spot for most companies, right? So why don't we call it 7%? Take the 7%, use that tracksuit calculator that takes the Field and Burnett data for method two and split up your 7% according to what it says should be the long and the short prescription. Yeah. And then the third stage is for the long stuff, choose media that you think will help with the long-term brand building and invest that money appropriately. Measure the results using essentially brand tracking. And for the shorter stuff, much of which you've mentioned there, invest it in more of the activation stuff. Measure that with a direct ROI approach. Have a look at Triple Cooked, Harry. It's designed for exactly this situation. Susanna, hey, Susanna. I'm already applying knowledge from this course to practice. Great. However, still struggling with segmentation. We provide a delivery service by which people can send packages to each other, similar to postal services, but more innovative. You submit the order in our app and bring your package to our pickup points. We've identified three behavioral segments, bothers that send things after their children, crafty people who sell their products and don't own an e-shop, and people who live far away from their family and friends. These potential customers are sometimes the same person. Of course, they are, they, are just, they are just the most promising ones. Additionally, some of them can be segmented according to demography, salary. The people living far away I can even create sub-segments, such as students. But the other groups are not so clear. Also, a segmentation by users' visits to the post office can be made. How should I decide on the features to segment upon where there are, where, where there are too many? Also, you don't recommend overlapping segments. Are mothers there for just one segment? Thank you for your advice. And Emma... Can I add to this one, please? I'm also struggling with segmentation and how it applies to my company, a B2B service provider. All right, so a couple of things. I will do a new version of the segmentation module um, in the new year. So in the alumni, in the early part of the new year, when you get access to the courses, there's a new segmentation module, which might be more helpful. In the short term, Susanna, I think you should go with your three behavioral segments and just not worry about it. What you should do is you've got these three segments. You should talk to two or three people from each of the segments to write the portrait. And from there, make the decision on how big they are and whether you want to target them or not. Just make sure they're different enough to justify being different segments. Are they using the service differently? Do they want different things? You need that in place, right? Um, but if that's the case... You've got three segments, move on, right? That will do. Have a look at the new segmentation module, uh, which is very different and coming out in the new year. Uh, Uan, hey Uan. Apologies in advance if these questions have been covered. Question one, given consumer research continues to be relevant across segmentation strategy and tactics, is there a percentage or rule of thumb regarding how much of a brand's marketing budget should be spent on research versus other costs? Ah, look, when I've, had, when I've raised this, um, and it does come up, I think CMOs all tell me the same thing. If it's the first big year of understanding the market, most CMOs are comfortable provided it's not more than 20% of the total budget. But that's very high, yeah? My rule of thumb on a regular year basis is 5% of your marketing budget, marketing budget, should always go on research, yeah? And it makes you the 95% stronger. 
So somewhere between the 5 and 20% of your marketing budget, I would suggest is the answer. Question two, how frequently should research be refreshed and renewed? Uh, look, do it annually, Ewan. Uh, what, what I've seen around is if you have this kind of agile nonsense going on, it, it, it just all turns to blur, but it's too, it's too quick. When you get multi-year plans, three-year, five-year marketing plans, finance need five-year plans, marketers don't, you end up doing next year and then extrapolating out. So the cadence is annual. And so what you're doing each year is you're building your, mar like you're doing in the exam, you're doing your research to build your, your marketing plan for next year. And then you'll do it again a year later. Question three, possibly redundant questions given the repetition of hold the line in the pricing module, but is there ever an appropriate scenario or benefit to discounting? For example, participating in Black Friday or moving stock? Yeah, look, there is. I'm rhetorical, Ewan, about it because everyone is doing too much discounting. So my, my steer is don't do it at all. Clearly, there are situations where you have perishable stock, uh, you need cash flow, you know, they just aren't as, you know, 6%, I made that number up, 6% of, of promotions are justified. You know what I mean? But let's focus on the 94% and stopping them. Question four, how efficiently can research be completed to cover segmentation strategy and tactics? It seems like multiple pieces of research are required at different times. Is there a way to make this more efficient? Yeah, look, my hope for you and for, for you and other people is you can apply backwards market research now at the end of the course. And my point is, if you look back on our course, you've now learned about pricing and Van Vestendorp, about segmentation, about product design and jobs to be done. So you've got a whole shopping list, which should make about 25, 30 questions, which you could do once, which would feed all of these challenges. That's how to do research if you know what you're doing. Just doing one bit of insight that feeds lots of things because you know what you're doing now. Uh, was there one more there? Yeah, that was it. Harry Hunt, just finished module 10 and had a question on distribution. How should companies that provide a personal service approach this topic? I've said before, but the company I work for provides care to people in their own homes. We obviously aren't a retailer and don't deliver products to customers and we don't sell our service online. A carer turns up at the customer's home, provides whatever support the customer's asked for, is distribution only applicable for retailers and companies that sell products? Or is there a different type of distribution for companies providing personal services? I mean, you may be like the other people on the course that are like, ah, oh, distribution's less relevant. I'd be careful not, not to dismiss it too quickly, Harry. I mean, for example, can you move to an online distribution of care services for people that don't need physical care, but have a specific question about something? You know, I'm making it up, but the point is, be open to it, but at the same time, yeah, distribution may be less important. Harry, can you recommend any CRMs currently using and liking HubSpot? Yeah, look, I, I uh, me too. It's a lot easier than Salesforce, says Claire. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I haven't used HubSpot specifically. I've heard that it's good. I, I don't think there's much better. Um, and, and if it's allowing you to customize which I think is the one thing you have to do, then yeah, I think it's great. So I'll, I'll take that on board. I should have a look at HubSpot when we do segmentation. Maybe we can talk about it as part, because CRM is obviously part of segmentation. Annie Rendell Short. Hi, Mark. I enjoyed the free guide you provided on adjusting marketing approach for businesses with a limited budget. I'd love to hear some more recommendations on how to adjust the principles you've outlined in this course 
for companies who don't have much to spend on marketing, in particular small businesses that only service a limited number of clients. Where do we start with segmenting if we haven't got the market research? Also, do you have any extra resources you recommend? Well, look, it may be, Annie, that at your level, you just do a bit of sophisticated mass marketing and go after everyone in the category. Um, we will talk about other resources in the in the final module where we follow up on everything. I'll tell you about in a minute. But I think, look, my I'm spent with I spent loads of time on that small business um, talk. That's my advice there. I don't have much more, and I'm not being dismissive of your question. But I, I gave you my best ten, and I have no others. Annie, again, uh, how long will we be able to access the course content after the exam? I'll, I'll explain that in a minute, Annie. Annie, again. Just to follow up my question about smaller businesses, if we don't have the research to explain the segments, how does segmenting fit in? Or do we just skip that, ske- that step and create a customer avatar for the target markets that are already known? No, no, no. My point in that small research seminar, Annie, is you can segment the market using secondary data, and that gives you sizes and broad types of customer. Then you have to do your targeting, and then there has to be some research which is free where you visit the three or four segments that you're thinking of targeting to build out the portraits. You've still got to do some research. It's just research that you do and doesn't cost you any money. Laura. Hey, Laura. Can I ask a dull maths-based question about segmentation? You bet. My thoughts are turning to the exam, and I'm a bit unclear on how to calculate the percentage share. Okay. I get the percentage share is the percentage of the total dollar value of that segment that you expect to come in your particular organization. But is there a formula for calculating it? I'm chronically, mathematically challenged. All right, all right, Laura. And this is a general message, okay? Because we're going to get this a lot. If you do what Laura just did then, you'll screw up the exam. Okay, Laura, listen to me. I'm chronically, mathematically challenged is is basically allowing you to go, oh, I don't get the numbers, I'm going to get it wrong. Right? Don't say that. It's almost certainly not true. You've already just explained market share. Don't throw that variable in. Oh, I'm not good at maths, right? You're very good at maths, more than good enough for the maths needed for the exam, okay? Confidence is everything here, okay? So market share is, there's no formula. You've just explained it, right? It's the total amount of money in the segment and how much of it next year we will be able to generate if we don't do anything else, but just what will come to us, right? And so you, you know, that's it. That's how you go. You're going to have to do logic to work it out. You're going to have to estimate it. But you don't throw yourself with a lack of confidence, Laura, and all the rest of you that are going to do it. 30% of you go, oh, I'm not going to ask me to screw this up. Back yourself a little bit here. You'll, you'll be surprised how you crank it, okay? Claire Cordell, can we ask questions about the exam? You said at the end of the module 10, there was a right answer. Oh, yeah. So should it feel like all the pieces clicked together? If there are any needy bits of information that I haven't been able to apply, does that mean I'm not there yet? No. So again, Claire, I can see why you're asking that question. Yes, there is a there is a broad, I think, uh, optimum answer. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it's not, it isn't maths. It's not yes, no. There's room for a few different approaches within it. But don't think this way. If you start thinking, I know what he's doing here. I think he wants this. You'll go wrong. Treat it like you really are a marketer, really doing a marketing plan. That's how you'll get, you know, yes, it should click together like a good marketing plan. Just treat it like that. Don't treat it like it's, you know, is there a right answer? What answer is he looking for? It'll throw you off. Nicoletta, super informative, the white paper from Walk, Anatomy of Effectiveness. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. 
My question is related to the point, be creative, that they also suggest. I think everyone wants to be creative and distinctive with their spot, but how can you ensure this? Getting a creative campaign seems like a toss of dices, 10 dices at least, and they all have to be six to get a creative campaign. Or at least it's correlated with how much weed and alcohol the creative team in charge of your project has consumed. Do you have any tips that might help ensuring you get a creative campaign? Um, and and Kate says, on the walk document, I noticed that they, they updated it in 2022. I'm not sure if it's changed much, but is this a resource you're able to source for as well? No, that one's copyright free. Walk has a paywall. The new one um, is not. So until it isn't, I can't I can't share it with you. I'm sorry, Kate. I don't think it's changed much, but I, I don't have access to it either. Um, back to Nicoletta's question. Um, I'd say there's two pieces of advice, Nicoletta. The first one is the brief. So it's got nothing to do with the creative, but if your brief is clear, it really helps the creative become good later. And then the second one is work with a great agency. I, I am not convinced of this, you know, great ideas can come from anyone in the company nonsense. I think it's democ democratic, politically correct nonsense, yeah? And I think what you really need is a great agency with a great creative pair who, yes, maybe are smoking a little bit of weed, but who are basically professional creatives. And you brief them well and magic ensues. That There isn't much more you can say because that's the nature of the creative beast, right? There isn't some you know, two by two framework would to explain how to get good creative work. Brief well and pick good creative teams. Alicia, after seeing lots of debate around the John Lewis advert, tried and tested festive formula versus a new sillier direction, I wondered what would Mark think, then realized I could just ask. So here I am, keen to know your thoughts on this, as I think it's a good demonstration of a brand not only breaking away from its bread and butter of a tearjerker Christmas ad, but also using TV to drive more consideration conversion with a lot of product placement compared to previous years. I must admit I do like it, but it took a few watches. Yeah, well, I, I'll answer it. I, I did watch it. I thought it was all right. I, I didn't think it was as good, personally, as the as the traditional John Lewis ads of, of old. I'm very partial to the Elton John one. Um, But the point is, my opinion is worthless, Alicia, and I'll explain why. Um, I, well, I've tried to do it this week, right? So Campaign Magazine made the Amazon ad with the three old girls going down the, the hill on the sledge. They made it Turkey of the Week because they said it was, you know, predictable and badly done and blah, blah, blah. And I, look, I thought, hmm. And then I read a post from System One, the ad testing firm, saying it's basically the best tested ad they've ever tested. 5.9, which is their maximum score for brand building, right? And the system one stuff is predictive, right? If they say it's 5.9, within a 95 percentile probability, it will end up being that kind of brand building campaign. So I wrote a little post on LinkedIn saying, is it a turkey, as campaign magazines say, or is it a work of genius, as system one say? And the answer is it's a work of genius because, um, because the data comes from a representative sample of consumers saying, I love this ad, right? Not from a bunch of journalists. Now, what's this? You have to look it up on LinkedIn, right? Because if you look at the post, a couple of things then happen. It's gone bananas. Like half a million people have, have, have read it and stuff. But um, what's sad to say is underneath, people have all posted, I love the ad. It's great. It moved me. I love it. You know, I felt really, it brought me to tears. I love the ad. And it's like, no. And they're all like, you know, strategic marketing advisor, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, 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 no. 
It doesn't matter what you think. The point of my post is Andrew Tyndall and System One have data showing this is a great ad. And and then I confuse the fuck out of everyone by saying I, I I don't like the ad at all. I think it's really badly done. I agree with the guys at Campaign Magazine. Because the head of Amazon sent a message on LinkedIn saying, um, not the head, but the head of advertising, he was a very nice guy, saying, we've just made an ad and Mar Ritson likes it and that's great. And I'm like, I don't like the ad. I think your ad's shit. But it doesn't matter because I'm not in the market and the market loves it and you're kicking goals. Well done. So everyone's now confused except me because it's just module one of market orientation, right? So what do I think of the John Lewis ad? Personally, uh, okay. Um, I, I think it's tested all right, but not as well as some of their past campaigns. But have a look at the... If you go to LinkedIn and you look up me and uh, Christmas and System One, there's the mother of all debate going on there. There's so many loonies on LinkedIn now, by the way. Completely mad. Uh, Harry Hunt. In one of the earlier Q&As, I'm sure you said that a full market research project only needs to be completed every few years. Not every year. But that the segmentation part is what needs updating annually. Yeah, every year. I may have got this terribly wrong. I did mention this in Q&A 4, and you said that wasn't right, and that a full market research project does need to be done every year. Yes, every year. Please can you figure out exactly what we should be doing each year? Okay, okay. Look. In year one, Harry, you, you, you're a new marketing manager, brand manager, whatever. You've got to do a much bigger deep dive in year one to work out what's going on, understand everything, maybe build the segmentation, right? When we get to the end of year one and you've had your first year of strategy, you've then got to still do research to feed year two. What you're doing then hopefully is a lot less high resolution because you're just updating the segmentation. You're updating your funnel. Um, you, you still have to do the full research review, but it's to update stuff rather than build it in the first place. But it's an annual cadence. Every year, do a big bit of research at the end of the year, middle of the year, that feeds the plan for the next year. And on and on it goes on an annual basis. That's, that's the way to do it. Nicoletta. So what happened to Virtual Gary? Now we have three years since entering the online market. Uh, a virtual Gary isn't his name. I had to change his name in case you found out. Um, he's still, uh, as far as I know, he's quite successful. He's not no longer in his van, and I think he's quite successfully doing his thing virtually. Um, but I don't know. Well, obviously, I haven't seen him in a while. My wife now has a uh, a guru from uh, California advising her uh, on her various yoga maneuvers. So we haven't spoken to Gary for a while. So I don't know. But I think he hasn't gone out of business anyway. He hasn't gone out of business. Harry Hunt again. Getting value for money this week, Harry. Can you give me a rough idea of how much it would cost to commission a market research project via an agency? I'm in the process of getting quotes and have been told at least five figures. Yeah. Is that what you'd expect? Look, um, yeah, five, 25 grand is a completely bullshit but relatively accurate fee. Having said that, Harry, now you've done the course, you're smart enough to build your own instrument and do it direct through a panel company, which will bring the cost down significantly. That's what I would recommend you do. Oh, gosh, went too fast there. Uh, Mr. Tom Silk, a couple of Q&As ago, a question arose about the validity of global segmentation. Your response, delivered in your inimitable style, was dismissive. A combination of pants and horseshit. Yeah, that's all right. It's bugged me ever since, and hence... 
I wanted to unearth this topic once again. Okay, it's still pants and horseshit, Tom, but you go. The reason is that I was lucky enough to work with a global farmer back in the mid-noughties on the launch of a drug that competed against and ultimately beat Viagra. Well, we know who that is, but let's move on. In the wonderful world of erectile dysfunction. Ah, yes, erectile dysfunction. The strategic challenge was to mobilize patients to ask for our brand by name. By the way, for everyone else's benefit, something Tom could tell you about too. The great thing about Viagra that no one talks about is it was a completely accidental discovery. So Viagra was being used for, was it, uh, I think it was high blood pressure. And when they were getting all, they did the tests in the UK and they're getting all these old boys with high blood pressure back in and they're saying, oh, it's not doing much to high blood pressure. But a lot of them were like, yeah, I know, but there's something else going on. And it was a complete accident. Anyway, let's move on. Um, we position around relationship versus performance. Can we just talk about, can we say what it is, Tom? So Tom used to work for Cialis, anyway, and had a particular target, uh, the naive balance man across all the markets. I listened to this chat, pour his head out in 25 different markets, and the consistency in needs and wants echoed everywhere from US to UK to Saudi, and even in Japan. My observation, based on the sample size of one, is that when you peel back the onion on an issue so profound, erectile dysfunction, that it touches the soul, it transcends culture and creed. In this case, a global segmentation delivered consistency, cost savings, and results. You know better than me our big farmer likes to command and control. Maybe global segmentation is overused in this world, but are you happy to concede exceptions to your horseshit rule, or are my glasses simply rose-tinted? By the way, thank you for making me a far better marketer. Oh, it's a good question, Tom. I'm going to go both ways on this. So, I'll go three ways on it, okay? So first of all, yes, there have to be exceptions. And I love your point that when your peer stops working, there is a universal human response that transcends culture. When a Japanese man cannot get an erection, the response is perhaps very similar to a French man. And the reason I'm confident about that isn't because of erectile dysfunction, let me make that clear. It's because when we look at it the other way around, which is when you look at aspirations and cultural aspirations, they tend to be very different. So I would imagine that the more, you know, biological functions may be more consistent. I'm making that up, but I think it's probably true. Second, um, yeah, there have to be exceptions to the rule where you, you do find that a global segmentation works. My point would be we need to go and do the 25 different markets to be sure that's the case rather than imposing one top down. But my only pushback, Tom Silk, would be you're in the global marketing team telling me, hey, 25 different markets, this global segmentation works. I don't know any global marketer that doesn't think it works when they build it. I would need to talk to your Japanese, Saudi, and UK country managers. Then I would be convinced. And I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying, yeah. But yeah, I do like your point. I do like your point. And it's always good to have a bit of erectile dysfunction before we finish. Uh, moving on. Annalise. I've really enjoyed this course and it has made me reflect on how I can improve marketing strategies and implementation. Great. It's also given me the confidence to hold my ground with MDs who too quickly jump to the tactic without understanding or caring about diagnosis or strategy. Annalise, this is great. I've generally been working with small B2B businesses that resell or integrate third-party tech, often with very small marketing teams. So I don't have the luxury of going to an agency for them to pitch a fully inclusive plan. And I'm usually the one that has to start the creative process. Do you have any tips on how best to approach this? I've watched the marketing for small businesses video that you shared. Yeah, look, it, it's it's beginning to get out of my remit in the sense that, and I'm not saying this snootily, I don't work in that small brand area. 
Um, the, the one thing I would say that may work on this is you've still got to go through diagnosis, strategy, execution. So you've almost got to brief yourself. And that's tricky, but it would help if you finish strategy and then kind of look at it from a creative point of view at the strategy you've already articulated. So my only advice is go through the process, even though it's you that's doing each step. Amelia Stanley, two questions. In my organization, there's a lack of knowledge around marketing, and they always want to push different IMC before I finish my strategy. Do you have any tips on how I can approach this and how to help them trust the process and not rush me to start pushing out tactics? Secondly, our strategy approach is more around mass marketing, as we're the statutory drug and alcohol provider in our local area. We are a charity and struggling with small budgets. It's hard to see which tactics will be best for us. I know it depends on context, target audience, but would you have any tips on previous experience of working with similar orgs and where you'd say it's best to push more budgets than under 10K? No, no. So um, so the first thing is, yeah, you've really got to push back on this tactification, Amelia. So push back on it by saying, okay, great. That's a great idea. You want to do TikTok. Target, position, objective. What are they? And they don't have them. And they say, well, until we've got that, we don't know if it's a good idea or not. You've really got to be that disciplined, yeah? Use the process backwards as a check against these tactics yeah and sometimes when you've got the strategy work done it proves what a dumb idea is being suggested but i'm not going to give you i know you, you've answered your own question amelia I, I don't know what the strategy is i don't know what's a good you know you got less than 10 grand what's the right cut you show me your target show me your position show me your objectives you work it through you'll work it out right but you can't you know your question is great but it's tricky right because you're saying to me People in my company jump straight to tactics without understanding the strategy. And then you ask me at the end, by the way, what tactics should I use? I'm not going to give you an answer, am I? Are you testing me or something? Uh, Harry Hunt again, up to $5,000 worth of questions, Harry. How should we use social media outside of the proper marketing strategy that you've taught us on the course? What I mean is non-strategy, non-campaign posts like company news, staff updates. It's almost a bit like an online shop front. But when my boss says we need to do more Instagram, or we should create a TikTok. Part of me wonders what the point is. Yeah, look, well, uh, the the one thing I learned about social media, so I see social media and digital media as different, right? Social media was that crazy era where we thought that everyone was going to become friends with their cornflakes, right? And was that's been widely left to now we use digital media and there is a, you know, it's a 50% of your marketing budget. The only time social media has a role for me is if, as the name suggests, we have individuals talking to individuals, there's a way to use social media. I mean, I use it in my own business for Mini-MBA, right? It's very noticeable. If you, when Mini-MBA, as an institution, which is my marketing team, they do loads of posts and, and they get like two what two views. You know what I mean? Because Not because they're doing anything wrong, but because social media is for people, not for organizations tweeting stuff, you know? And then I do this tweet about the Amazon, you know, campaign and we get, you know, half a million views by by lunchtime. So I think the one time you can use it is in that social interaction. I do think there's still something there, but it can be very limited. Jonathan Tronk. Hey, Jonathan. I'm clearly overthinking things. I've read the same paragraph 10 times in the workbook. Okay, Jonathan, let's go. I just wanted to clarify for the MW copier reps that... They manage their respective MW accounts, helping with repeat purchase decisions by visiting two accounts a day, four days a week, and call new clients two times a day, five days a week. So all you've got to think, Jonathan, is they have a certain amount of capacity 
that you can calculate and they're going to have to visit them twice to make a sale. Okay. You can assign that to an existing customer because the existing customer um, may be thinking of someone else or you can assign them to new customers. They still have to make the two visits. But I think where you're going wrong is you're looking at the reps already and it's like, come back over here, right? Segments, targets, yeah? Who do you want to target? The question that's going to cause you some difficulty and that's deliberate is, do I need to defend these accounts or are they pretty happy and are they going to reorder? If they reorder, they can do it through the HQ as the case tells you, right? So if I'm a happy customer and I'm buying from MW, you can, and all is well, you can assume the rep doesn't need to visit. Now, in the real world and in the exam, they'd still like to visit that client because sales reps love to visit happy customers because they can still claim the sale. Your question as the marketing chief is, do I not do as much of that and do I assign them to potential recruitment accounts because that account is safe, okay? Uh, but yeah, two visits a day, two calls a day. But you look, you've got a total number of calls per sales rep, and that equates to a certain number of uh, um, accounts. It's one of the limits you've got. Work within it. Rona. I just want to say I'm enjoying this course immensely. That's great, Rona. I've been a marketer for 20 plus years, and I've no formal quals. And I chose this to be my first proper foray into the course world. It's pretty great. Next thing is the exam. I'm trying to work through the segmentation, but I feel I need a pointer. I'm trying to work out the market share on the commercial side, and I'm struggling to get the copiers sold per year to stack up. So I've got contracted companies, 1,200 companies buying 10 per year, 12,000 copiers. 9,800 buying one per year, 9,800 copiers, totaling 21,800. With 23,000 copiers sold to companies, do the other 1,200 sales come from smaller companies with no contract? And is it just a case of working out the proportion of the total commercial spend to get the spend for that segment? I feel like as soon as I post this, a light bulb. Wait, no, that's it. You got it. You've got to use a bit of logic, Rona. And it sounds like you're using it. Um, everyone's got to use a bit of logic. The second thing is the, the numbers are very round because that's the way they are in segmentation. There's no precision here, yeah? You're basing this off a small sample, unknown knowns, known unknowns, competitor behavior. So some of you will not get through the exam because you'll try and make everything add up to 2,366. And you can't do it because the numbers are slightly different. Be comfortable with that. Be comfortable with a bit of uh, imprecision. It's a really important skill. And I'm deliberately teaching that as part of the exam. I'll be honest with you up front. Keep going. You're doing great. Daniel Paterno. Hey, Dan. I wanted to ask, will all course materials be available after the course? Yep, yep, all on the alumni network. We'll tell you about that Christmas, don't worry. Harry Hunt, again, as this is presumably the last chance to send a message, um, in your case, Harry, is because there's another six down there, isn't there? I just wanted to thank you for the course and the Q&As. I will be a better marketer thanks to you and your team. And I'm looking ahead now with optimism and the desire to do marketing properly. Training in marketing makes you better at marketing. I will miss the Q&As in particular as it's been like getting to know you. You sound like a man who likes a beer, and I like a man who likes a beer. Me too, me too. Yeah, Harry, it's been a joy, mate. I mean, I enjoy these sessions, you know what I mean? I mean, it's maybe a, you know, a, a, <laughs> it's maybe a, a revealing fact. That it's, it's probably the highlight of my, my working week, right? On a Friday, as I come and do these, we're in, it's four o'clock now, see? So I do, I do my Q&A with you losers, 
And then what I do is I put my barbecue on and I make myself some, I put my steaks on in the morning. I, I like, I like my steaks to warm up. So I put my steaks like out of the fridge, you know, season them. And then I have a cup of coffee and I walk the dogs and I come in here and I record my Q and A's because there's a couple, right? And then when I'm finished, I go down and I put my coals on my barbecue and I put my meat on the on the table. Do you know what I'm saying? And the weekend starts here. So for me, this is a re- I'll miss these sessions. I'll be honest with you. I, I like my Fridays with you lot. Um, and the questions are always interesting. You know, when we first started this, I was thinking, oh, this won't work. But it rapidly became clear that the questions were. It was a brilliant way. To, to first of all find out how the class is going but also just to also be stretched and challenged with you so no I, I, I genuine mate I've enjoyed it just as much as it sounds like you have Stuart Bridges I'm loving the course and everything about it much love part is the exam much dislike part is the exam so I figure I'm now in the group that you mentioned at the end of module 10 I could be overthinking this and would appreciate your guidance I thought I had my segments value correct but then it dawned on me regarding the number of copies sold across education and corporate. Is this worth factoring this into my into my figuring out segments value? Yeah, look, if you can do it, Stuart. I mean, uh, uh, the the again, there's lots of imprecision here, so go easy. The corporate sector is generally more likely to pay more per copier, and there's more copying being bought, right? More copies being bought, so factor it in. But make it an estimate because there is, segmentation isn't the mountain, yeah? It's a picture of the mountain, and it's quite a sketchy picture. Kate. Hi, Mark. First, to thank you. I've really enjoyed the course. This has turned into a really good Q&A, man. It's a refresher and an update on my only formal marketing training from 20 years ago. The exam sure is stretching my brain as I've mostly worked in the public broadcasting sector, and in that context, our marketing projects were mostly around brand management and connecting audiences with information and largely IMC. I've actually, I'm actually between jobs right now, so don't have any current projects to apply learnings to, but it's given me so much food for thought and reflection on my career, great, and the way our teams have been structured and restructured, and how the marketing process has been understood and valued or not by other teams in the organization. Well, that's great, Kate, I'm happy, and I, I hope it helps you get the job you want next. So a question, I especially love the meaningful actual grid and look forward to applying it to a real-world situation. With the examples we've seen in the course, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I'm getting tripped up on the attitudinal and behavioral variables, but I suspect I may be overthinking it. Have you any tips on how to approach this when doing research and analyzing data to keep things super clear? For example, with MW copiers, obviously the features of the products and the prices are important, but I can't decide whether these are attitudinal or behavioral, or should I just view them as customer needs? Because we are talking B2B. Maybe in the end it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so I think it's an important point. That's the meaningful actionable grid that you've got is basically firmographic demographic, right? It's just using the characteristics, the size, and the industry type, um, and a little bit of contracting data. I think that's often the best way with the meaningful actionable grid. And then you drill into the segment that, that emerges to try to understand them in a little bit more detail in the real world with a bit of quilt. So there really isn't any behavioral attitudinal stuff in this segmentation. It's firmographic, yeah? What you're mistaking here is how you position, you know, the positioning is behavioral attitudinal, but not the segmentation, right? So then I think I encourage you to start thinking about what's their behavior and all of that. But the segmentation is firmographic. Don't sweat it. It doesn't matter. Um, well, I'm with Joshua Lee Chi. Hey, Josh. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Josh. I'll try my best to remain unethical 
Unethical? What? Oh, ethical. When I use your teachings to take over the world. Good. What are the most important, relevant pieces of advice you'd give you'd give to us as we roll into New Year with our newfound abilities? Oh, what a perfectly placed at the end of our Q&A, Josh. How did you do that? Of all the things I've told you, I think there's a couple of... Oh, look, we have a wrap-up coming, and I will, I will repeat myself there. I, I think there's a couple of things to bear in mind, yeah? Keep your mind on the overall structure of marketing and that idea of diagnosis feeds strategy, strategy feeds tactics. That's key, yeah? You won't go far wrong if you keep that mindset. I think market orientation is the most important lesson. And if you maintain that market orientation, again, you won't go far wrong. And finally, I think be the kind of marketer that manages up and around. We don't have much power in the company. So your challenge is to manage those angles, those political ramifications in the right way. You don't control much, but you can influence a hell of a lot. And I think that's something you've got to work on to be a really successful marketer. All right, let's have a little look at the exam explanation. Some of you are already working real hard at it anyway. But for those that are still going into it, let me explain what's happening. So we've already opened, as of today, the exam tile. So if you go down the bottom of our platform, the exam tile is now open. And when you click on that exam tile, you'll find the following files. You've got the Copyland workbook. That's the case study you need to understand. All the answers are there. There's the MW marketing plan. That's the PowerPoint plan that you save and then work on and fill out and submit. There's the communication options. These are the list of comms options you pick for for your tactics. And finally, there's two good readings from Sally Dib and one from me on how to do marketing planning because that's what you're doing. They're very useful readings, okay? So read the workbook, save and then work on the MW marketing plan. You don't need any external material and absolutely no references. Take your time. When we've done research, it's five to six hours to do this, as we said, and you've got seven days. So although you got, if you want to submit, you need to get it in. Um, you have loads of time to do it. Um, if as you go through it, like you've already done today, you've got questions, please post them on the NBA network and I will pick them up. I'll try and check every day. Um, and by all means, you post your own responses and help for your classmates. We encourage a bit of cheating. Don't, don't put any of your actual answers in there because often they're wrong and you throw off like 10 people and they get pissed off later. But if you want to give people help or tell them what you did or what you think the answer is, that's entirely appropriate here, right? Just remember that the person giving you advice is probably wrong, right? Every year, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be a bit sexist. It's mostly men giving the advice and it's bad advice. And it's mostly women taking that bad advice and changing a perfectly good answer to a bad answer because they took the bad advice. So just, you know, back yourself here is what I would say, okay? And I don't know why that gender thing plays out, but it does. Maybe well this time. The best advice is to pretend it's real, okay? Um, uh, really pretend that it's real. Um, don't look to, well, I know what is happening here. I know what the answer should be. Pretend you're a marketer doing this and it will play out pretty well. Um, once you've finished your plan, sit on it for a day because we grade as soon as we get them because we have a, a, a huge amount to do. So we don't, I'm not going to grade it twice. So when you submit, that's it. Whether you have another epiphany, it doesn't matter. We won't let you change it. So sit on it for a day in case you change your mind on something, okay? That's really important advice. And then what you basically do is you go back to the exam tile where you got all the files. 
you upload your file. It can be in any format, but we prefer PowerPoint. It's up to you. It can be PDF. And you submit it by clicking on submit. And it's gone. Again, that's it. Now, note the deadline. The 24th of November, a week from today, midnight UK time. We will not extend it, okay? And if you don't get it in by then, there's no, there's no chance, okay? So remember the exam is optional. You don't have to complete the exam. That's the first and most important thing, right? You don't have to do the exam. Um, if you don't do the exam and you've watched all the classes, you will get a pass. Everyone gets a pass, right? Completion. If you do take the exam, the grade is optional. Yeah. And what that means is if you get a shit, what you think is a shitty grade, you can just opt for the pass certificate instead. So you really can't lose. Okay. I really want to encourage you if you have the time to take the exam. It's fun. It really does pull everything together. And it's a final learning experience. I don't care what your grade is, right? What I care about is you get one more learning experience, which really unites everything together. So if you can find the time, I would strongly encourage you to have a go at the exam. Okay. Six hours. It's six hours well spent and it's fun. And it means when we do the results, you'll be genuinely excited about, you know, how badly you did. Okay. Um, then what happens next? So then we grade like mad. We haven't managed an AI grading tool yet. So we uh, I get st stuck into your model answers and away we go. Uh, on December the 15th, one way or another, we'll have everything graded. Um, and then we run a course conclusion session, uh, which will launch at 10 a.m. It's a bit like this mixed with a module, okay? So what will happen is, if I go back to my thingy, this this tile here opens, and there's an hour-long new module with me available. And that sits there from December the 15th to December 31st. You can watch it any time. And on that same day, on December 15th, your certificate is available, and you find out what grade you got, okay? So that happens December 15th. Um, we'll then keep this portal open until the very end of the year, midnight, December 31st. But remember, the portal's open now right through the exam as well. So once you've submitted the exam, you've got weeks to use it. And then again, yeah, you'll join the MBA alumni in the new year and you'll have access to the videos and new materials. So it's not like we're disappearing. It'll just be in a different format. Okay. So that's it. Good luck, everyone. I uh, wish you well in the exam. Uh, enjoy it. It's fun. I'll be checking in on the NBA network on a daily basis for any questions. And I'll see you on December 15th. We'll do a big wrap up, talk about next steps, have a bit of fun, a bit of festive fun. And I'll see you then. Have a nice four weeks. And uh, yeah, enjoy working in photocopying.